to TL Squared today's Learners Tomorrow Leaders podcast brought to you by the Vele Initiatives Young Emerging Leaders Collective, where we discuss a variety of topical, contemporary, and pertinent issues relevant to our experiences. Welcome to TL Squared, today's learners, tomorrow's leaders. My name is Naya and I will be hosting today's session alongside Hannah, Tanita and Junior. We will be reflecting on protests of 2020 and 2021, discussing change and progress, as well as exploring our role in politics as young people. It's now time to introduce our panel. Hannah, if you want to start. Hi, I'm Hannah. Um, I'm one of the Young Emerging Leaders. Um, I'm a youth worker who works predominantly in the borough of Bexley and uses creative arts and wellbeing practices um, to like enforce youth work. So yeah, that's a bit about me. What about you, Tanita? Hi, my name's Tanita. Um, at the moment, I'm a freelance researcher and writer and I focus on economics and nuclearism and black feminism. I'm also a member of the Young Imagine Leaders Collective. Hi, I'm Junior. Um, my pronouns are she, her. I'm from South East London. And I work as a filmmaker with uh, interest in social justice issues, but I do a bit of bit of everything, really. Thank you so much, guys, for introducing yourself. I'm just going to attach a trigger warning to this podcast. Um, we're going to be discussing protests and themes which some listeners may find uh, triggering. So please look after your emotional well-being if you choose to listen to this podcast. And we will also make sure we do that whilst answering, asking questions too. So we will kick off by asking our first question or statement. Um, and I kind of want you guys to reflect on the protests of 2020 and or 2021. So Hannah, if you want to kick us off. For me, honestly, at the beginning of like the protests, it was quite triggering and it was very traumatic for me. Personally, I'm just going to start here and say this might be a controversial opinion, but I really hate one thing I really hate about social media is um, the videos of black bodies and like black murders being made viral. I think it triggers PTSD in our community. And it's I think, bruv, not bruv, sorry, guys. (laughs) Um, And I just think that what's it called? It's kind of like no other race do you see people's murders becoming viral videos and becoming videos that are shared and reposted as if we're animals like we're we're, we're literally not roadkill and I think it's a big problem to the point where black people have to safeguard themselves before they come onto social media because it may be very triggering to the point where it can put you in a position where it paralyzes you and you don't even know how to move forward it messes up your day and that sort of thing but one thing that a positive thing that really really stood out to me about the 2020 protest is the solid solidarity of everything like it just really unified um the uk africa and america because obviously protests in 2020 included nsars congo is really congo is bleeding and the list goes on so i think i really love the solidarity and everyone really sticking together and protesting for a common cause additionally it really highlighted the fact that the uk is also racist the uk is racist and i think i have to say that one more time the uk is racist 
Um, a lot of times when I speak to Americans or when we liaise with Americans, they feel like the black British issue or experience is completely different to theirs and they kind of compare struggles. And I think it really um, highlighted the fact that law enforcement is doing similar things in the UK. And it's mad because the people who are supposed to protect us are the people who are causing harm. And it's like, when did we get to a place where we had to be scared of law enforcement? Or where did we get to a place where the law enforcement feel like they can be above the law? Um, so those are just like a few of my reflections. Yeah, I really agree with what you said, Hannah, about the spread of videos. Like, I also think it's something that, I think it's something that you really have to question whether or not it's actually doing, whether or not it's um, just supposed to be some kind of like voyeuristic kind of exercise in like showcasing black people's pain whether it's actually about spreading awareness and I think the boundaries get so merged when you're just constantly looking at the same videos that are circulated a lot of times without warning um and especially I think I think it's bad enough for adults but I also think like a lot of like young people and children also come across these videos and I think it's just very traumatizing I think you know yeah <laughs> it's just very it's a very traumatizing space to be in but then I also think like I think the Black Lives Matter protests were really good and that they got so much public support. And I think so many people reached a point of, like, we want to do something. And it was really good to kind of see that surge in, yeah, that surge in, that surge in support, like, I guess, among Black people as well. I feel like it was quite a radicalising thing for a lot of people. But then I also think the protests were very, um, they were more about mobilising than actually, I then I'd say, like, uh there wasn't a clear aim, I don't think, which is why, which is what I'll probably touch on in the later questions. Um, so I think it was really good in terms of like an expression of like where we were at and like what everyone was feeling. And yeah, and I think they had like, they did have a massive impact and especially like the kind of conversations that were suddenly being had all around. Um, I don't know if it's a good thing because most of it was performative from like organisations, universities and stuff, but it was definitely like, a watershed kind of moment in history I'd say in terms of the way suddenly everyone was talking about race inequality um then I'd also say we never like it's not like how do we get I wouldn't say it's like how do we get to this place I thought we've always been here like the police have always been a a violent like system of oppression like used to protect upper class interests or middle class interests and property and not surprising not not surprising but the police don't function any different here than they do in pretty much everywhere else yeah, it's interesting to listen to yours, Tanita and Hannah, Hannah's responses. Um, one thing, as I was listening to you speak, one thing that I was becoming aware of was, this might be a bit of a tangent actually from the original question, but this idea of people, the, the word people and that being used as like, it means a collective of people, right? But when we're talking about like racial justice issues and people, people in um, air marks, air quotes rather, people suddenly starting to see things and do things. Which people are we talking about? The word people has been growing up in a in a Western, white Western country. The word people, the word human, it kind of only applies to certain people, actually, in its actual real-life usage, not in its definition. Um, 
And so talking about BLM and how it suddenly made people care and like everyone, everyone was talking about it. Black people have been talking about this way before, centuries before now. <laughs> We've been protesting about it. All kinds of protests, right? Um, so I actually want to hear people talking about make it, just making maybe making that differentiation between black people and white people and POC people or people of color rather. I mean, this is such a complicated topic, the way that we are like conditioned into kind of giving more sympathy to our oppressors than they give us. Sympathy, empathy. Um, and this use of the word people is one of those, like this general use of it, when we should actually really be always like interrogating which people <laughs> are doing these things and which people are doing those things. Um, is just what came to my mind when Tanit was speaking. That was quite a tangent. <laughs> um, but in terms of the protests, yeah. I could only see the value of the protest in terms of how it made black people um, respond. The response, yeah, it was, it was clear to see, you, you could feel it amongst us. Um, I don't know if we mentioned, but everyone in this particular podcast episode is black. Yeah, it was definitely, it definitely became, like post-George Floyd particularly, I mean, became a widespread talking point. And not even a talking point, but like, it was everywhere. You couldn't escape it. I personally was spending hours scrolling through Instagram stories, like hours upon hours and hours, even though I knew I should stop um, in the beginning. And then when the protest started, I was a bit, I was kind of conflicted, actually, because this is also, when was it? June? This is only three months after the UK had gone into its first lockdown. So I completely understood why people were going out to the streets protesting. But the fact that it was happening during COVID was really, like, unnerving, unnerving for me. Um, and also, I just couldn't help but think, what's going to happen after the protests? What are all these people that are out there in the street now going to do after the protests are done? Because this isn't a short-term game. It has to be, we have to start thinking in the long term about how to make change. And also, I was thinking about how protests is a very, I feel like we look to, we see the examples from America, from the States, of protests there and how connected with change it is. And I think that it is a very American um, form of social change. But in the UK, I can't think of many protests that have had a real effect actually, because it, this isn't the same society. It's not about, here it's not praise to be shouting loud. It's all keep calm and carry on, right? Whereas in America, it's like the bigger the better. So. Not only was the question, what are we going to do after protests, but like, how are we going to do it in a very British context? I think I think you I think you raise a, a good point there about Britishness and how that kind of manifests itself in the way change happens um, and the way we kind of see things happening in our society and over lockdown and the pandemic was just kind of like, as you said, Hannah, like paralyzed by 
the trauma of like going on my phone and just like seeing person after person after person the violence and and I think the pan or rather lockdown not the pandemic but lockdown was good in a sense because I think it really forced people to reflect on you know their their opinions of race you know whether they are a black person or a white person and their attitudes towards different people but at the same time giving people time to reflect I think it was also like harmful if you didn't look after yourself in that process um especially as black people I think I'm only starting now to realize the ways in which I can kind of heal from that type of trauma I hope that you guys as you were you were scrolling you were searching you were attending or not attending protests that you you know you as panelists and you as listeners were looking after yourselves during that time um thank you guys for your for your experiences and your opinions we'll move on to the next question kind of yeah this is this is this is all about protest really like let's talk about kill the bill and the the impact of the police crime and sentencing courts bill and for those listeners who don't know much about it some of some of its policies include imposing time limits on duration and maximum noise levels um it said that gatherings can be banned if they do not meet prerequisite conditions of the police um uh, for example sufficiently preventing serious public disorder air quotes and this has to be done prior to the arrangement of the protest or um if not a protest can be stopped if it if it was to happen um so yeah does anyone know hannah do you want to start if i'm honest with you not gonna lie when i heard about the kill the bill kill the bill and everything else going on it was actually quite not frustrating because Law enforcement are the people who exercise these restraints, which has given them more power. And it's like, to a certain extent, we're protesting against institutional racism and the institutions and law enforcement that feel like they are above the law. So I really think it's kind of counterproductive. It's like, okay, you tell us what we can do while we're protesting for our rights, even though we're partially protesting for our rights because of the way you treat our community. So it's kind of like, how can we now protest full-heartedly, giving our all, when every time we think, okay, I'm going to attend the protest, let me know what my rights are. Like, I feel like now to to get involved and to attend the protest, it's making it harder for people because they're thinking, what are my rights? Am I going to be safe? If I go out to this protest, am I going to make it back home? Is this the last time I'm spending time with my family? Because you're basically, this bill is basically saying, you have power already. So you, we have shook, it has been proven time and time again that policemen, they're put on a pedestal for killing, like it, because of the fact that they're not really charged the same way as if it was a regular person or not like a regular person, whatever that is, has killed someone. And it's like, okay, cool. This is what you've done, but now you're the same people who get to exercise. Oh, you're too loud. Oh, you can't say this. Oh, this, this, this and that. And it's just like, how do we expect to think that we're going to move forward if the same people we're fighting to decolonize and the same people we're fighting to change around the structures of their institutions are the same people who get to influence 
and infiltrate these laws. It just doesn't make sense to me. And it's just like, I have to think to myself, is it, well, it's not even I have to think to myself, it's like every single day of a black person's life is probably going to be dedicate, dedicated to eradicating black, sorry, eradicating racism. And it's like, why should we have to live like this when it should be a global issue? And it should be an um, issue for, like Junior said, all people. It shouldn't just be an issue for black people. But yeah. Um, what do you think, Tanita? So I just want to quickly go back to what Junior said about people because I really like, yeah, I really appreciated that that point and that comment. Because um, I think, yeah, it's very much the way this, it's very much similar, like, upon reflection, yeah, the way you see people is often very similar to the way we use the category of human, um, which is obviously constructed not obviously, but it is constructed against blackness. Um, so, yeah, and I think probably what I was saying before, I should like, make that distinction more clear because in terms of, like, there's certain things that I feel like this affected black people in different ways that it probably affected, like, white people. It's just so deep, the levels that our minds, all of our minds, but especially, like, black minds, are conditioned to just follow this racial racialization and it's actually really interesting because it's only been since we've only been referred to as black people by the white colonizers since the 1500s so it actually hasn't been that long <laughs> i mean it's a long time 500 years is a long time yeah kind of going off what Gina said as well it's like the, the extent to which like yeah i'm really interested in like language as well and i feel like the language you use like the way the way we use certain words it kind of all reflects that kind of um conditioning and like the whole indoctrination of just the whole system of racism um and colonialism and imperialism and the whole shebang and i think yeah and i think it was very interesting to see how the reaction was very different for different groups of people so i feel like for black people i think the protests were quite cathartic in terms of i think certainly people had this outlet for a lot of like our age um that we kind of never had before and then I think when you look at the kind of responses of like white people it was very much rooted in like panic guilt and like um like a need to a need to um kind of manage the optics of their organization or their like personal brand or whatever um that's not basically, basically sorry yeah yeah basically um and but then also I do think it kind of brought to the forefront people who've already like a lot of people were already kind of on this on this wave if that makes sense like it wasn't a new it wasn't something new essentially um but I just think a lot more people were able to a lot of people had a I think everyone's platforms just kind of like um expanded as a result of it but even again it was like certain people's platforms whereas were getting more attention than others because they're more palatable in whatever way society desires them um that's what I was going to say in response to that Actually, I was going to say, because um, I know that we had just moved on to Kill the Bill, but there was like some other protests, movements that we didn't get to thinking about was the protests that were that have been happening in Kashmir. So for listeners who maybe don't know the situation that's going on there, um, Kashmir is a region, I believe, um, that has been disputed um, has a history of dispute between India and Pakistan um, thanks to the our, <laughs> our good old colonizers the UK 
back when they were over in South Asia doing their things. Um, there, after the partition, um, where India was separated into India, Pakistan was separated to Pakistan, Bangladesh became Bangladesh. Um, Kashmir um, was supposed to be um, decided to ascend to India on the condition of like autonomy and a later um, agreement that was going to, I think, uh, it's called a plebiscite or something like that. I'm not an expert on this. Just that was going to make their status more secure, basically. Um, that never happened. And then in 2019, fast forward to 2019, um, the Indian government, India is a majority Hindu country. People of Kashmir are majority Muslim. Um, government of India decided to revoke um, revoke the part of the constitution. I think it's number 370. I feel like I'm getting this, this part wrong, but they decided to revoke a part of the constitution and take away the autonomy of Kashmir and basically say that Kashmir belonged to India now. Um, and when they did that, they put the re they put the area in a complete lockdown. This is before COVID. Um, there were there was a complete digital like media blackout, so people weren't able to use phones. There was, I think, a hand almost no TV. Um, journalists were being um, arrested, disappeared. Um, there, I read that there was one for every one person resident of Kashmir. There was eight soldiers, so very, very he heavily militarized area, basically. Um, and that, that actually might have been even before the lockdown happened. <laughs> um, and they were in that lockdown for five months, so their access to protests was completely different to what we have probably been seeing in the, that, what we saw in the news last year with BLM, with NSARS, um, now with Kill the Bill. Like, we actually do have the means to protest publicly in certain places in the West, right? And that's one of the privileges that we have. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe we might not be fans of protest or in terms of, we're going to discuss this next, like the results the outcomes of protests, um, but it should, it's good to acknowledge that we're speaking from a very pri privileged place at the same time as well. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah, I, I really agree with that. And I think it's really important to recognize that there's so many protests happening all around the world all the time. Like It's not just ones that we know about or the ones that are closest to us and maybe the causes we, yeah, are, more, are the most invested in. Um, and also, I don't know if I would say with regard. I think we definitely like in the West, our kind of privilege is like undoubtable. I don't know if I use the word privilege in association with protesting. I feel like it's more like we have more. It's more like rights than it's more like we have a different. Yeah, I would say I'd use more rights as the word because I think the fact that we have to protest about anything kind of demonstrates the. I guess the kind of situation in that, um, yeah, the kind of like global situation. And I think a lot of struggles, I guess, around the world, they're all kind of like interconnected. Like I think like oppression is a, is a global system. Um, 
and it manifests differently. And of course, it manifests differently when you're in the, I shouldn't say metropolitan power, but I feel like that's such a colonial, um, I feel like that's from like studying French, but I count with that as a word. But like, yeah, when you're in the UK or in the West, um, it manifests very differently. And I think, yeah, it's always good to be, yeah, to talk about all the other all the other struggles that happen around the world. And that's just what I wanted to add. Yeah, you guys both made like really great points because it's weird because sometimes you think, oh, is protesting effective and we have these thoughts. But a lot of, like Junior said, and like you said, like a lot of people don't have the like the means or the advantage to actually go out and protest. But um, it just it's actually quite cool. What you, it's not cool. Interesting what you said. Like for example, it reminds me of like what happened in NSARS where so many bodies were placed because you know they sent out military and they were like killing the youth. And to this day. Do I don't think anyone's been held accountable for the mass murder of young people in that country, and I guess like the same level, that same level wouldn't happen in the UK. But it's just crazy that in that in a country and in 2020 that you can have a mass murder at the hands of leadership and nothing really happened, even though the world came in sol- in solidarity to like protest and to you know do things and to like progress and to like cause awareness of what was going on so like it's actually just to me not gonna lie 2020 was just a crazy year because everything that was going on with covid on top of everything that was going on wrong, uh, going around like around the world with all the protests like in america in different parts of africa and asia like universally it was just a crazy crazy year sorry uh, can i just also add another thing going off of that point um the attention that we how it gets decided which protests we see which we don't it's something that really, amongst many things, something that really angers me. One of the protests that we haven't, I'm not sure about the rest of you, but I've only heard about it through my own like research, are the ones that are happening in Haiti. Basically, the leader, the president, I think, president of Haiti is trying to change the constitution that, so that he can stay in power for longer. And the people of Haiti, who, as we know, come from a revolutionary line of ancestors, being the first enslaved uh, country to remove their colonizers by themselves like to kick them out of the country they kicked France out of their country so they they know how to fight (laughs) Um, they're out there protesting but the US is is, um, sending support for the president who is clearly trying to um, do something unconstitutional Um, and it's the same thing that they do in so many other countries. Like we talk about like Nigeria and, and SARS and six months later, is this, yeah, it's been six months almost now. I don't know how much we could say has changed. Also because we're not in Nigeria ourselves either. So we, we can't really speak in, in, from such an informed point of view. But all these leaders that, or countries rather, that are in certain places claiming that they're there to bring democracy or they're supporting democracy here so we're doing the, the exact opposite in a different country <laughs> oh yeah i was gonna i was gonna say as well um yeah with the situation in haiti and i don't know if i don't know if this is something you may have already said before my internet cut um but yeah like with haiti and how how like their use of the word black um when they first like declared themselves you know like a like a free a free republic um, and it was basically about, I think even their conception of blackness was about uniting towards like liberate collective liberation, like among black people. And I just think 
that's just a nice thing to just share if if no one else knew that um and also I think it definitely when you look at the way that like a lot of a lot of um yeah a lot of like inequality and like dictate essentially like dictatorship is, is you know what we're looking at in Haiti is totally propped up by like western interests like you said like the US and the UK and if you look at like Palestine and kind of like all the complicity there with like um Israeli apartheid there's so much stuff where it's just like um and this is why I think it's really important to always have a kind of transnational like for letting it to be transnational you need to understand that um kind of all these struggles are connected and it's like you unfortunately because of the way the whole world works it's like one country can never really be free because they're still in this system of capitalism they're still in the system of like the UN or whatever like the all the international um kind of like bodies which are essentially governed by the US <laughs> the UK and maybe a few other European countries um it's kind of like there can never be I guess there can never be one population that's okay because it's kind of like we're all under the same system and there's always going to be interference coming from all these different countries because a lot of like the wealth in the west is like predicated on suppression in, in the global south and like that kind of stuff um yeah and I think it's always really important to talk about yeah all the, all the different struggles that are happening and also like why a lot of them happen because even when you look at like Haiti it's not like the U.S involvement is recent it's kind of it's been like haiti has been actually destabilized by like the west since literally since that revolution and like centuries ago now and yeah and i think it's always really important to kind of look at look at the not just the role in the west of not helping but also in the role they they have in creating the situations that people are protesting against i've, I've been i've been doing my own reading and stuff and and i got this magazine actually at, I don't know if we're allowed to do shout outs, but I'm going to do a little shout out anyway. I don't know if you guys have heard of Shadow Magazine. Um, no. This is their youth edition. And honestly, it has some like incredible articles um, from people like all over the diaspora. And I was just like reading it today and it's got an article on like um, protests in Rio de Janeiro, people in the favelas, um, and SARS, uh, abolition ecology, and what was it? Oh, great one else. And talking about like the influence of like social media and and how we as young people are kind of taking different kind of steps and charging forwards with this kind of new. I'm not going to say I'm not going to say new because it's not um, people have been protesting since the beginning of time like it's not a new thing but I think in this generation of young people it's an evolved uh radical energy just like charging forwards um and the kind of like empowerment that we can kind of uh receive from each other through social media and being able to um like see and observe I don't want to say observe I don't like how that sounds but how we are able to find out about different um protests and revolutions happening around the world I think like social media is incredible for that and that we can see young people all around the world or people in general all around the world doing what we're trying to do 
in our own countries do also doing it in theirs. And I think it touches on, um, I think all of you have spoken about the fact that like what we're fighting for is not an isolated system of oppression that exists in our own countries. It's the world as we know it and how it is. I think that we we are doing what we can currently to ensure that we are protecting each other in our in our fight for liberation and freedom and in in kind of like all aspects of our lives um, and educating ourselves on other struggles around the world is is one way in which we're doing that and I think we are moving forward in learning from um, different resistances around the globe um, so yeah I guess that's what I'd like to say on that one and kind of I, I'm going to leave it open but kind of like transition into the next kind of part of this this conversation we're having and talking about change and sorry, is there any change I, yep go sorry yeah before we before we transition I've just realized that we haven't we haven't mentioned one of like like the biggest protest in history that's happening right now in India with the farmers. 250 million farmers are on strike and they have been for, I think, six months now. And there's no news, there's like hardly any media coverage about it. That is the pop, that's like, how many times of the UK population is that? Imagine if the UK times like three was on protest. <laughs> that's what's happening in India. Um, and it's really, really significant. That's just another example of people don't people that have power don't want us to know that, or rather the people that hold power don't want the rest of us to know that we're the ones that actually have the power. So all of these images like that are stories. This is an amazing story, what's happening in India. <laughs> and it's just been it's just being erased or ignored. It's it's actually so funny that you say that because the way I found out about India was because my auntie's Indian colleague said, this is a massive thing going on in India. And it's just weird because it's like, you, um, I think you mentioned it earlier about how the, um, the media navigate what's news, what's not news, what's important to get coverage, what's not important. And it's like their struggle is no more or less significant than our own, than the struggle of the others and of the people who, or, and the other ethnicities. Um, then the struggle of the other protesters and the people who are fighting for different freedom or different um, issues. But it's just like, why is it that they didn't get coverage? Like, I don't think there's a valid reason. And it's sad because to them, they're crying out and they're protesting and it was a massive thing. It's just that it wasn't a massive, massive thing to hear because it wasn't covered. And to a certain extent, I feel like Everything to a certain extent, I feel like everything is planned by the media and what they want to cover, what do they think is going to get coverage because it's just like, okay, you made NSARS a massive global thing, whereas everyone had to be talking about it, and you kind of felt some type of way if you didn't post about it to the to the uh, the complete opposite where everything that was going on in India, I could probably count on my fingers how many posts I saw about it, but the main reason it was talked about was because it was affecting people who were like offshoots of my community and the people I liaise with and it's like that's pretty sad because people are struggling and we're talking about how all these things are global issues but then we're not privy to all the things that are going on globally because 
some are some are deemed as important and some aren't this is why we have to kind of take control of our own awareness we can't just watch mainstream media and news and think that we're understanding what's happening in the world doesn't mean you can't watch it but we should definitely be aware that there's so many other sources of information that could educate us that would educate us probably to a better standard than you know like the US press or the UK press which is owned by like I don't know four people <laughs> or some ridiculous number like that um because yeah otherwise it's, it's not gonna it's not gonna be done for us if we want to know about these things we actually have to take the time and effort to find them out yeah I completely agree and I also think the thing is it's not it's not just like planned like it's deliberately designed like media is deliberately designed this way like it's not a do you know what I mean misdirected or like accidental outcome that we don't know about certain things like media government kind of like all the big corporations that like run it and like and like Junior just said like the however many like the amount of individuals you can count on your hand who like own the UK media industry for example um yeah they have an agenda and there's that and like um yeah they don't want us to know what's going on because like Junior said like we have a lot more we have collective power and they have um like distributive or kind of oppressive power and they kind of they know that their biggest their biggest the biggest risk to that is like because there's more of us there's just more of us and if we were actually if we were all educated and not just not just education I think education is one part of it but it's also like do we have the material like capacity to actually like do stuff and contribute and stuff like that um if we had those two things then we'd be pretty like unstoppable and so the media are there like deliberately trying to keep us in the dark about a lot of a lot of the issues around the world and a lot of the issues that we might take as um that we can learn from as well not just to understand what people's struggles are but struggles that might inspire us to like you know do the same kinds of the same kinds of direct action for example i'm gonna i'm gonna change the direction um a little bit and kind of if you guys want to talk about the ways in which you navigate investigate research and find out um about uh different protests different conflicts different um different communities of people and how and how they are organizing and mobilizing against the oppressive structures that are inflicted upon them um for me um i really like reading so i like to get books uh i like to get like i ask people in like my youth work network or what they're reading at the moment oh and like sometimes i'll do specific areas so oh do you have anything you're reading on like racism and educating people about racism um so like reading a lot also running mead i really like they do different articles on what's going on about race in the uk um sharing sources or like being shared sources from friends and like just clicking on different articles and then doing a bit of further research because sometimes you'll get articles that are pretty biased and you know what a big one for me is talking to people who in inverted commas misunderstand me or like have a bit to, to, to me wild views on the subject i think sometimes that can really help see other people's perspectives um, and gain an understanding of why people think the way they do and how they think i think for me like the most important thing is the, the one thing that's important for others to do for me is to understand me or at least make an effort to understand me and understand my perspective 
So with that being said, I make an effort to understand people's perspective, even if it's a different opinion to mine, because I think it's super important. But yeah, so like just reading articles and that sort of thing. If anyone else also wants to comment on how they kind of deal or converse with people who have different opinions as well. Yeah, there is a lot of um, talk about whether our generation or people, I guess, are living in echo chambers and how we need to like be hearing the other the other side out and stuff like that. I think as a as a general rule, I am now only going to engage with people who might have different opinions. If like James Baldwin, there's a James Baldwin quote that says oh, I wish I could I wish I knew it like word by word. It's basically it's he said um it's fine for us to disagree with each other unless that reason is can I actually find it because I don't I don't want to misquote this thing. I'm just going to quickly google it. Yeah, no worries, take your time. I feel like but um, I'm just going to quickly go in, but like, it's, I, I like what you said about um, like there's a certain reason you're engaging. I found it. Gonna like, oh, okay. So I, I completely agree with you because for me, it's a thing of I will try to understand you, but if I'm having a conversation and we're going back and forth and you've told yourself, like, you know, you can just tell in your world the vibe when people are committed to not understanding your perspective, then it's like it's not, it's no longer constructive. But if I feel like they're, they're open-minded or they're having an open ear and they're actually trying or willing to have the conversation, then 100%. If I just feel like I'm going around in circles or it's not a safe environment, I don't know, I didn't have comment. If it's not a safe environment, then like that's one thing. But yeah. Cool. Okay. So the quote, James, the James Baldwin quote says, we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. Um, and I just think that's spot on because people think that they have the right to enter into an argument with you when, when their aim isn't actually to listen or to understand, but to validate or legitimise the power that they have and how they want to keep hold of that power, usually. Um, and yeah, you can just tell when someone's trying to listen to you. And that it's actually a discussion or a debate. Or when they're just, they just want to fight. <laughs> they just want to argue with you because they, they've already decided that you're wrong and they're right. Yeah, I really like, I really like that quote. I don't know and I think it sums it up. And I also think, I read something recently about, you know, everyone kind of talks about debate and stuff but I think the very kind of notion of debate is very much rooted in this kind of like battling like it's it's a very um what's the word it's very like rooted in western philosophy in the way that it's kind of like like pitched two sets of knowledge against each other and I feel like that's not the reality when we're talking about something like racial injustice when we're talking about oppression there is not two sides (laughs) there is like two sides is like it's such a um, distorted way of looking at it and I think when people are kind of made to feel like they need to be in conversation with people who are invested in their oppression is very 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 harmful and I think it's one of the kind of I think it's one of the technologies of white supremacy to make to make everything like oh we need to debate about whether or not you know you need human rights 
and it's very um and it's very harmful and I think a lot of that a lot of the discourse around should you talk to people who have different political opinions than you as you is often kind of rooted in that same logic um you know it's like should you have a should you should you be nice to someone if they've voted for but for a policy that led to like have many people to die you know I I don't think that's really a I kind of think that, that that's a silly question not silly question but I kind of think posing it as a question makes it um it's like it's trying to shame people into like not protecting themselves um in a kind of way and I also think but I think differences of opinion in terms of like you know if we all if we you have to come from the same kind of starting point like I said like you, it, the space needs to be somewhere where you're not people are committed to understanding you um and I think when you're in that situation say you're all there working towards racial injustice maybe you disagree on something like what's the best best like method maybe or like even even that actually I say that even that there's 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 um there's limits to that statement but you might you know have like a different strategy idea and I think that's the kind of thing that that's the kind of difference in political opinion that I think is safe and kind of appropriate for the situations we're often talking about and dealing with do you know what I'm 50 50 about what your, your statement because I do think it can be harmful if like I said before like they're committed to misunderstanding you my thing is yeah if I've had a conversation so okay so from my experience I've had a lot of situations where I've spoken to people and they've openly told me that they've grown up in situations where their family are racist, but they're not racist. But certain things they do because they're around their people. So, for example, even to... Oh, shout out this person. <laughs> I'm not going to out the person, but I don't want to say something that they're going to be like, when they listen, they're going to be like, this is me. <laughs> okay, anyway. Okay, I'm just going to go all in. Okay, so there was a certain situation where the person was like, they're, they're not racist, but they grew up in a very um, secluded white, predominantly white area. Um, their husband's racist, but they're not racist. So you know, like when you have certain situations where you feel uncomfortable around this person because of the way, the things they've said or the way they behave, even though they're not racist. And then you've confronted them about it on a, f- a few times. And then like, it was weird because we ended up having an open conversation about how um, racism and being a certain way towards black people is all they've known. Yeah, all my days. I know what I'm trying to say, but if I say it the way I want to say it, it's very obvious who it is. Okay. I think you should just say it how you want to say it because it sounds like this is dynamic where you're the one who's experienced some kind of racial violence in the conversation. Mm. Um, and maybe this person that engaged with the conversation doesn't even know that yet. If they listen to this. Oh, they know. They know. We had a whole conversation about it. And like, so what happened when we had the conversation? It was, it was like... Um, they were like, look, yeah, I'm not racist, but when I go to family holidays, when I go to this, when I go to that, when I go to all these things, I'm still around those people who are so committed and fixated on hating black people. And so she was like, she was basically like, subconsciously, sometimes I may do things that are a bit racist but are a bit different. And to be honest, yeah, from that conversation, obviously it wasn't productive, and I'm pretty sure to this day she still says, she probably still says and does things that are a little bit way way. But for me, it was just like, okay, yeah, um, 
the, like the whole thing about race is a, is a construct like it was made people said you are black and you are white and we're going to separate the two so the same way I think it just made me more aware and I think it made her more aware that even though she thinks she's not racist the fact that she's still cohabitating and living and in integrating and talking to and like has like these racist people with these racist views in close proximity proximity with her on a daily basis is like excuse me it's gonna rub off on you and it's kind of like you know people always say like oh um, you shouldn't be with dark because um but light can fade out darkness or darkness can fade out light like it works either way but my thing is of at a certain point when you're an adult you can literally just be like this ends with me my children aren't going to partake in this. My grandchildren aren't going to partake in this because this ends with me. And I think to a certain extent, I get it. Like, it's your husband. It's your family. Like, you've grown up with, uh, with them. You've done this. But some of the things that she said that they said, for me personally, maybe it's just that important to me. But for me personally, that would be something that would make me disconnect from my family. But I can't expect everyone to do the same or to have the same passion towards that cause because not everyone, in reality... Yes, people say they care about racism, but at the end of the day, black people are always going to care about it more than white people because this is our struggle. It's the same way, like, I don't even remember what show it was, but this, it's an old show, and the white woman was great posting the show, and she said, who likes the way black people are cheated in America? None of them put their hands up. And then she was like, if, none of you, if black people are cheated the same, why did none of you put your hands up, and why isn't is nobody actively working towards it? Because to a certain extent, because it's not happening to me, it's not a major issue. I feel like I went on a big tangent, but um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I can't even remember what my original argument was or where I was going with it now. <laughs> but yeah, no, I feel like I feel like that story you told is just so familiar to so many black people and people of color, where you're trying to have a conversation with somebody about your experience, a lived experience that they actually don't have any idea about, and I just want to kind of um, their main concern is again not to listen to you, but to like absolve themselves of the guilt that the conversation is making them feel, as well as the responsibility that they know that they have been avoiding in taking action over something like racism or homophobia or ableism, all of those things. And I think, I guess I can also say I'm guilty of that too. And I'm trying to be more aware of that. Like my first reaction might be to, my first instinct might be to feel, to kind of make myself, to respond in a way where I'm like, not as bad as the rest of them. Um, like ableism is a great example in my case because I'm, I'm not a disabled person. I'm an able-bodied person. But there's absolutely no doubt that having been born and raised in an ableist society, I am ableist. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the conditioning, that's just it. And it might not be your fault, it might not be our fault because it has been from before we were even born, but that doesn't mean it's not our responsibility. So it sounds like your friend doesn't, when they say that they're not racist, I don't think they understand what the word racism means. It's so funny you say that. <laughs> oh gosh, I feel like I'm on everyone today. Um, <laughs> I had a friend, I was a good friend with them for um, ages and I just remember when I went to uni. I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna be 100% honest with you. Before uni, I was naive. I was really naive. Like the world was just this happy, clappy place. <laughs> And it's just mad because, okay, so in uni, like what we have, we have this thing called group work. And what you have to do is you have to sit around in a circle, 
Lord, this is where, this is where like your views as a person and like your morals and what you you really just gets attacked. So you come into a room excited about um, the morning, and then what happens is you sit in this circle and you basically have to talk about. You might share a view, um, and the view might be homophobic, and you might not think it's homophobic, but then everyone in the room will attack you because they think that view is homophobic, and they're trying to find out where this view came from. Oh, so like I remember I was writing an essay on like racism in the UK and how it affects young people and that sort of thing. And this was like a couple years ago, and I was with my friend. It was a friend that I've like known since begin like for a while, like since, since secondary school. Well, I don't talk to her anymore, but at the time I did. And um, she was reading my essay, and we we're talking about group work, and she was like, "Do you think racism exists in the UK? Do you think people are racist?" <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed because I thought it was a joke. And then I looked at her face and I was like, wait, 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 what? And then she was like, no, honestly, do you think that the UK is racist? Do you think racism is a thing? I thought that was more of a thing for Americans. And I was just, I was just looking at her and I, I was in horror shock. And then like, I remember for like five minutes, I was like having a conversation and trying to explain it. But then I just deep sighed and I was just like, do you know what? I don't even think this is worth it. So then I remember, yeah, like, like the rest of the evening, like, my mind was just not settled. And I just kept thinking, this is bad, this is mad, this is mad. And then, I don't know, like, a few weeks after that, like, I don't know, the relationship, like, we just started to drift apart. And, like, we speak, we, like, we used to speak every here and then, but it just, like, pickled. Because, for me, it was mostly triggering, because it's just, like, I just don't understand how, it, because maybe, I don't know if it's because she's not white, but it just doesn't. You can't even fathom the fact that other people will struggle. And it's weird because to a certain extent, I was naive, but I, I, I can say I was not that naive. But it's just weird, but it's also a thing of there are many people in the world who are completely oblivious to the struggles of others. But it's weird, it's like, but now to a certain extent, how can people be so oblivious with things like social media and everything that's going on? So it's just weird, it's like this paradox for me because it's like, how do how can we hold people accountable to their part? But it's also like, is it okay for people to be naive too? But then it's also like, how can we make ourselves woke and how can we take that responsibility for ourselves to not just be in our bubble and in our world that it's all fairies and princesses and that sort of thing? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that story. I think um, I always speak for everyone, but I can also relate on some of those stories of telling of, situations where you just actually sometimes just look at a person and like wow like you really have that opinion that 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 reflects a lot on our friendship and we're gonna leave that friendship there and just gonna literally just gonna cut literally that was, like, that was you, me during my 20s sorry you just have to you really have to protect yourselves and I guess we're gonna wrap it up with this last question of uh whether you're attending protests or you know, watching them online or just kind of witnessing um, conflicts around the world. How how do you guys protect yourselves? And do you have any advice for our listeners how they can look after themselves, their emotional and their traumatic well-being during this time? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So I think a common thread here is stay away from people who are committed to misunderstanding you. I think that's really important to me because it's just like it becomes very, very, very draining and just a waste of time. Um, but also kind of like 
making sure that I'm, I'm, I'm aware of my triggers and aware of when it's getting too much. So like when you need to step away from social media, um, in certain situations where you have phone calls with people and they kind of need to just vent and digress about everything that's going on. Sometimes you don't have the capacity. I know for me, a lot of my young people have questions and I have to host these conversations as part of my job role. And sometimes after five o'clock, when my friends want a space to have these same conversations, I don't have the capacity for it. So just being like, you know what? I would love to speak about this with you, but maybe another day. I think that's been super helpful. Um, and just my friends just respecting my boundaries and just being like, do you know what? I completely understand because I know you've said that a lot of young, young people, you have to have these conversations with them as well when it's a lot. Just taking time to do things that, you know, spark black joy and spark excitement and remembering that black people are more than their struggle. You know, we, we, we're exciting, we're creatives. We, you know, we have a lot of potential. We're, we're, just, we're just it, you know what I mean? I would be unbiased. But, um, you know, just taking time to like, spread love and be around people who really appreciate you and acknowledge you and love you. I probably would say that I think... I think the question's a difficult one because I think, like, you can, like, protecting yourself from trauma is never, it's, it's, the trauma we experience is, like, black people is a structural situation. So there's never going to be enough, anything that you can truly do on an individual or interpersonal level that's going to protect you in that way. So I think when you're going to protest, I think it's about knowing why you're going and what those protests are trying to do. And I think it's about understanding that, um, one thing I one big thing I'll just say generally is like making sure you know your rights. Like I know Green and Black Cross have a lot of information on that and some other great groups also have a lot of information about what your rights are. But then I also think the real thing, if we like really want to protect ourselves, we need to like organize and we need to actually um be clear on what we're trying to do and what we're trying to what we're, what changes we're trying to see. Because I think it's not enough to be angry and to be angry and have that anger be um, not be directed towards any specific kind of action. Like I think it's easy to, not easy, even though it's not even easy to do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna say that. What I mean is that we need to be able to channel the anger into a long-term strategy. Like I know said, oh, like it's about the long-term vision. It's not about the short-term vision, and it's not about. I think we have to think beyond of. I think sometimes we view a lot of like protesting through the lens of what say like the government or or what white people in the rest of society are gonna say about this protest that are they gonna pay attention to us. But I think the point is we're not we're not um like you're not protesting to get attention, you're protesting to make change. And protesting is just one of the ways that you can do that. And I think we also touched on we touched on disabledism and the way that um we kind of view protest as like the only avenue for change but actually there's so many avenues that we can use that everyone can participate in. And I think um yeah, I think it's always important to be mindful of that. So I think, yeah, I think it's about kind of understanding what exactly, what kind of things you want to see. Because I think a lot of people say they want racism to end, but then are unable to understand the contradictions with, like, for example, like wanting to be a millionaire and like that kind of like stuff like that. I think you need to sort out what you understand about the world, what that means, and then how you can, and then find people who are also on the same page as you, like people who are about the same things that you are and who are wanting to see the same changes you are in the world. And I think work with them to cultivate ways you can build each other up to bring about those changes I think that's the most yeah those are both really re relevant points that you say Hannah and Tanita 
it's a really it's a really like difficult question i think how do we look after ourselves um in times like these in the one that we are in like right now black people are we're experiencing a double pandemic aren't we actually <laughs> covid being the first one racism being the next um for me personally I think especially after the George Floyd protest last year and that like I, that week where I just felt terrible um I've been more uh conscious of how I'm like consuming media social media um I don't go on Instagram anywhere near as much as I used to since then and I've managed to like maintain that <laughs> We see so much black, there's so much black pain for us to see. It's always on display. Like the world loves to see it, to be frank. And we don't see black joy for the exact contrary reason, because black joy is resistance, it's power. It's showing that it doesn't actually matter. <laughs> all these things that they're doing to us, to all like oppressed people, all those who have power, all the things that they're doing to oppress people, but I want to specify like black people, most of all, um, we, we're still able to live our lives with joy and experience moments of happiness, of community especially. doesn't matter where I go. If I see a black person, I, I, I relate to them. <laughs> I'm relating to them without us even speaking. Like we're, we have a lot of differences between us, but we're also, we're one people. I mean, we're all humans are really, actually, but we've kind of forgotten that along the way. So our ability to still experience joy is like that can't ever be taken away. It can't, it can't be taken away. And I found a lot of, yeah, comfort in like, in these hashtags, like hashtag black, black joy or, or existence is resistance, like, it helps me feel better to see, not just currently actually, but to think back to our history. I've been learning, I've start, I, start, I had started learning more about um, African history, like pre-slavery. Um, because and this is something that we also forget, and again, it's not by accident. Our history literally goes back to the beginning of like humankind. <laughs> We're the beginning. We were the beginning, people of Africa. Um, and they were not, they were not like, our ancestors were doing things that we can't even imagine today, actually. And that has, not, that has never changed. That's never changed. And having learned more about the history of um, like ancient civilizations of like Egypt and Sudan and Southern, Southern Afri Africa as well, like I'm just... I have I now have it in my mind that like once and for all permanently I mean you do get wobbles because obviously we're still surrounded by like white supremacy but it is so rooted in my mind now that we are nothing but greatness we're just greatness <laughs> I try and be more intentional with like looking at seeking out things that remind me of that and that's one of the things that makes me feel pretty great actually <laughs> I love being black I'm gonna second that I love being black
I'm sure uh, both Tanita and Hannah were also third and fourth that. But um, yeah, thank you guys. Thank you guys so much for sharing that. Because um, that was a very personal question I asked you guys there. And I can relate to all of you, but specifically community and finding that sense of solidarity within the communities I exist in and seeking out new ones to kind of like grow in and grow with at the same time and uh, connecting with my my lineage, my ancestral heritage and just like just like remembering like we are we are so much we have been, we will be, we are so much more than what the world makes us out to be and and like each of us now we are standing or as I am sitting in my power and we just continue to grow with that. So I want to thank you guys so much for sharing with um, us today and thank our audience for listening. Um, hope everyone enjoys the rest of their days or evenings, whatever they are doing. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>